Okay, Grove, you can take a seat. I hope your Thanksgiving was great. You're moving a little bit slow, so I can tell that means that it was. You probably ate a little bit too much food, and you're still working that off, and that is okay. Um, but, you know, if, if you don't laugh at my jokes, then I won't tell them as much, and then we'll be the sad thing. So just be with me, even though you're still maybe a little full from Thanksgiving. We're in week seven in our series in the Lord's Prayer. And each week in this series, what we're doing is we're taking out a line in the Lord's Prayer and we're getting up close and personal with it. But we're also, what we find is that this prayer then gets up close and personal with us. And it starts testing us, it starts trying us, and it starts leading us in this new way of living. And this week we're looking at the line, forgive us as we forgive each other. Now, okay, Here's something that should happen when we come to this prayer. We begin to come to the prayer and we begin to see that we need to depend and rely on Christ to teach us how to pray. And then in doing that, we begin to surrender to him. And then we begin to do this thing called submission to him. Like we're ready to obey him. And now look, I'm not the submitting type. It's not in my nature. But when you meet the Christ and you see the grace that he's offering you, you respond by giving him over, like giving yourself over to him. And then you begin to, to say, okay, how would you then have me live? And we begin to look at this. And then when a whole community of people begins to like surrender to him and submit to his ways, heaven begins to come into the earth, into this community of people called the church. And what we find is that if heaven's going to come into this community, there is a foundation that, that it all must be built on. And that foundation is forgiveness. Forgiveness that we receive from God, but forgiveness that we also offer to each other. And that's what we're looking at today. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. We're adding the two extra lines after the Lord's Prayer because it's all about forgiveness. And by the way, if you have questions today, we're going to have a time for Q&A. So make sure you get the questions in while the sermon's going along, if you have them, and then I'll answer as we go. So here we go. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right. The very first point we're going to have is we're looking at our, the need and the challenge of community. The need and the challenge of community. So we haven't talked about this with this prayer, but it starts by saying, our Father. It's, it says, it's a communal prayer. It's not my Father, it's our Father. It's not give, give me this day our daily bread, it's give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our de debts, our sins, our trespasses. And what that means is as soon as you begin to pray this prayer, even if you are alone in your room, it must be a communal prayer because it's a prayer not just for you, but the community of people. And what we begin to learn then as we pray this prayer is we go all the way back to the beginning. And one of the very first truths in the Bible is it says this, it is not good for man to be alone. 
Now, this is talking about a marriage relationship, but what it's also telling us is that God is not enough. Now, that's a dangerous thing to say because he is enough, but there's a point here. When, when, when God says it's not good for you to be alone, what, what he's saying is, is, look, you need more than just me, what God is saying. And, and we get this understanding because we are like living, breathing mirrors, and a living, breathing mirror always reflects what it loves and builds its life on. And so if you are looking up at God and loving him and building your life upon him, then as a mirror, you will reflect him out to the world. And when you look up at God, one of the very first things you notice is that he is triune. Father, Son, and Spirit, always in perfect community for all of time and even before time. Which means that you, being made in his image, are wired for community. You're actually commanded by God to be in community. And the word for church in Greek is ekklesia. And it means something like this. The gathering of heavenly people here on the earth. It's kind of a big deal. The gathering of heavenly people right here on the earth. And if we're wired for community and we're commanded for it, what we begin to see very quickly is it's going to cause problems. Because I don't know if you know this, but you're flawed. And you have this thing, this propensity in you to keep doing this thing that the Bible keeps talking to you about, and that, that thing is called sin. So you have anger in you. You have greed in you. You have selfish ambition in you. You have lies and deceit. You want to steal. You want to rob. You, you, there's something in you that's prideful, that wants to be better than everybody else in this room. So we got to be able to admit those things about ourselves. And when we do, what we begin to realize very quickly is that, yes, when two or more are gathered, there heaven is on the earth. But also when two or more are gathered, there are problems. And I'm convinced that uh, big churches have a little bit of this figured out. Because what can happen is if you're part of a big church, you can come into this, to, to this, for, for this place for an hour, hour and a half, and you can be captivated and not really even notice the people around you, especially if it's dark enough. And then you realize, well, hey, there's going to be a whole bunch of people leaving after this. I better get out of here as fast as I can so I could beat the crowd and beat the traffic. So what happens is you never end up seeing everybody, anybody, never noticing anybody. You kind of remain hidden among the crowd. And it looks like one big happy family, but the problem is it looks nothing like a biblical church. Because a biblical church is together. The prayer is communal which means there should be problems. There is going to be problems. In fact, the evidence that you're being a church is that there are problems because you're together. Now, what I have found is that people prefer to remain hidden and distant. So why is that? Well, because your greatest fear is to be known and rejected. And your greatest hope is to be known and loved. And if your greatest fear is to be known and rejected, well, what are we talking about up here all the time? We're talking about really two things, sin and grace. We're talking about, like, here's the bad news, and here's the good news about Christ. And it means that if you're in a church, you're going to feel exposed. And so if, if, you're, if you are so daring and bold, bold to come and be seen just a little bit, you're still even hiding a little bit. Because guess what you can do for an hour, an hour and a half? You can put on a good face. You can have this stained glass masquerade where you walk in and you appear to be something for an hour, an hour and a half. And then what you'll probably notice is at work, 
You also have this image that you're trying to portray to your work coworkers. And then what you'll also probably notice is that when you're with your neighborhood friends and there's a party, you have this image that you're trying to uphold. And the image of you looks different depending on who you're with. I think that you maybe know this about yourself. And if they were all together, you might not know how to act in front of all of them. And the reason for that is, is because you're terrified of being known. And you might not really even know who you are because you've been playing this game for so long. And what you're doing is you're hiding. You're hiding your sins. <laughs> you're hiding uh, all your shame and all your guilt. And what a Christian community is saying is, let the real you be seen. And that's absolutely terrifying. And it begins to create some problems if you have some expectations of things being this perfect, beautiful, happy thing all the time. Now, when we started The Grove six, seven years ago, we said we wanted to be a place where there was really authentic community, which means we would be known, other people would be known. And um, we had people over at our house all the time. We had all these parties all the time. Then my son got this rare autoimmune disease, which made it really difficult for us to have a lot of people over. But we still try to have people over as much as we can. And when we do, well, let's say like this. Let's make this the story. So somebody comes here for the first time, and they're, they're, they're connecting with the sermon. Like, oh, this is, I'm connecting with this. This is good. I'll give it another try. Oh, I'm connecting even more. And then we go out, and we have some coffee, and I say some things, and you're like, wow, that was really cool what he said. And then you start feeling like, man, this is maybe a magical place. And then you come over to my house, and you find out that I'm kind of annoying, and I'm not so special anymore. And what this is, is this is a real community. Uh, This is uh, me, the best that I can, and as terrifying as it is, saying, "This this is me. And I have found grace. And what it becomes is us beginning to understand that we're all building this whole thing on grace together and this, this relationship between me, you, each other, and God. And it's what the Bible calls a covenantal relationship. And, um, and so you begin to find out that really the special thing about a Christian church is that everybody gets to realize we're all kind of like these annoying, sinful misfits, but we've all chosen to stay. And that's what makes it a Christian church. And this is all built on this foundation between us and God where he has chosen to stay with us because he's looking at us and he sees all of our sin and he sees it and he says, I'm with you all the way to the end. I'm not gonna leave you or forsake you and there's not one sin of yours that can make me love you more or less. You can't do this great thing to make me love you anymore and you can't do this horrible thing to make me love you any less because my love for you is constant, it's never ending and it appears to you that it's always growing but that's just because you're rediscovering my love more and more for you all of the time. And that's what a relationship with God is like built on this foundation of Christ. And then that relationship begins to show itself in community as well. And you can think about this like a marriage. So in, in, in marriage, you, you get married, you go on the honeymoon, and then you come home. And then you fin- spend this first night in the bed, and you wake up in the morning, and you find out your spouse has bad breath, and you never knew it before. You're like, oh, okay. And then you find out that they're messy, or worse than that, They aren't messy at all, and you're messy, and they're constantly telling you about all of your messes. 
And what marriage is, is to say, I see everything about you and I'm staying. Elise knows the best of me, but she also knows the worst of me. But she's saying, I'm staying despite the worst. And this is the covenantal relationship that is found in a marriage because it's the covenantal relationship found between us and God, but it's also the covenantal relationship that's meant to be found in the church. And do you have any idea what that does to your growth? It creates an ecosystem where you can say, this is me, this is who I am, all of my sins, and then people say, we're not leaving you. We're staying. We've seen you, we've known, we know you to the core, and it's okay, you're good. That is incredibly healing because you're terrified of that actually happening and being rejected. And that's what makes a church so special. Um, but it's risky. It's risky to be known. And there are, if, if this is going to happen, the Bible talks about true, two things that are true of a church and the community that happens within a church. There, there is love, but there is also truth. And oftentimes, we're trying to balance these or live in this tension of these, and we don't really do a good job at it. So, so, so what this plays out is this. Right, So what we say here is we want to be a place where there's honest wrestling with faith and doubt. Another way to say that is we're creating the space for all of us to come together to explore truth. And some of us are going to say some really crazy things that are way off, but we got to leave people some space to explore. Yet at the same time, truth is held as of utmost and highest importance. But love is at the same time. And so when you only have one or the other... If truth is the, is the big thing without love, then it, it starts playing out like this. We're all seeking after this truth, and someone has said, this is what is true. And then a few other people say, this is what is true. And as that begins to happen, anybody who thinks something different is like, well, you don't belong here anymore. So there's all truth, no love, and even if you don't, banish somebody in your mind and in your heart you're doing it they'll get the hint and they'll be gone so at the same time truth is of utmost importance and so how do you do that how do you create a place where people are loved and accepted just the way they are yet at the same time truth is held to this high importance how do you find the balance of saying just the way that you are you are loved however there's a version of you in heaven that god has you one day to meant to become and the church is here to help you do that so it's this culture where transformation and growth is like it's happening all around you and there's a bit of a um there's a bit of like a stirring towards it Yet at the same time, it's this place where it's like, if you're not growing right now, it's okay. You're loved and accepted. In fact, what I would argue is if you don't feel like you can be loved and accepted, you're always going to be hiding, which means the real you's never going to be showing. And if the real you's never showing, then you don't even know who you are and you don't even know how you're supposed to grow. So growth will not happen if there's not an environment of love, but growth will also not happen if there's not an environment of truth. And we got to find that balance. We got to seek it with all of our hearts. Now, here's how this probably could play out. You're here and you say, I'm going to stay with you. And then you begin to love people. And as you're loving them, 
they start annoying you a little bit. Maybe they sin against you, and they don't know it. Maybe they do know it. And before you say anything, though, you're like, you know what? I should inspect myself. Let me check out this log that's in my own eye. And so you begin to look at the log in your own eye, and then over time, you begin to deal with the log that's in your eye, and then you begin to look out at others. And then maybe after you've done that, you can help them grow. And if you're at this place where you can do that, like you've done the hard work of yourself, you look out at somebody and, and you, you know what you do first? You see maybe you could help them and you say, I'm going to pray for them. And you begin to pray that God would do some good work in them. And you pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of a better way to live their life. And see, here's what I think often happens with us. We like to play the Holy Spirit, which means we like to call people out for their stuff and not trust that the Holy Spirit is actually going to be doing the work. So we try to become the Holy Spirit when really what we should be doing is praying for people. And if we did the really hard work of fighting for our friends by praying for them, man, I think it would be much different. And that's what the Christian community is supposed to look like. And, and so what we find here is there is real wisdom in understanding the combination of truth and love. And if you think about it, like you need that for your parenting. So if you could get good at it in a church community, it means you're going to be a better parent. So that's interesting. And there's a, um, well, I'll tell you this. I have a pastor friend who feels very convicted that he should call all of his people out for all of their sins. And, and I said, dang, man, it sounds like you're only going to be talking about people's sins all the time. And he said, yeah. I said, okay, when are you going to love people? And he said, well, that's how I love them. I love them by telling them their sins so that they'll change. I was like, okay, I get that. Um, but the fullness of what love is is enjoying people. And I'll tell you what, if you feel the constant need and pressure to always call people out on their sins, you will not enjoy them because all you're going to see is their sins. And you will not see them clothed in the beautiful perfection and righteousness of Christ. You're just going to see their sins, and it's going to be glaring, and it's going to be annoying to you. And you're going to get stuck on trying to fix them when the fullness of love is enjoying somebody, which means you're giving them some space and say, you know what, you're a sinner, me too, it's okay. We'll leave, some, we'll leave each other some space and we'll just be able to enjoy each other. We can just hang out and it's okay. If you are, and come on, we all are to bit. If you're the type of person who sees very quickly the faults in others, it's probably because you're very quick to see the faults in yourself. And if you have a hard time offering grace to others, it's probably because you have a hard time offering grace to yourself, which means you're maybe not fully encompassed and lavished in the grace of God, and it's not upon you, so you're having a hard time offering it to others. But you know what? In your, in your guilt and shame, you're becoming pretty lonely. So the solution is to point out the guilt and shame in others so that they can come and join you in this prison that you have created. And that, my friends, is what hell is, and it has nothing to do with what the Christian church is. So we fight against that, and the foundation to fight against that is forgiveness. And this is our second point, the need to forgive. If you can't forgive, you cannot have a lasting relationship with someone. It's bottom line, it's how it goes. And if, if you can't forgive and you seek to have a lasting relationship, there will always be something separating you. 
And if you think you can have a lasting relationship without forgiving someone, then you have overly high expectations of yourself and others. You are looking at yourself with rose-colored glasses and you are looking at others with rose-colored glasses. In other words, you aren't that great and, and neither is the person next to you. And that's okay. Like, we can be okay with that. But, and we, go, we can be okay with that because God has said, you are special in my eyes and I love you. And in that sense, like, everything's good. And, and the reality is you're going to have to forgive me. Because maybe you have some expectations of me that are good that I'm going to mess up. And maybe you have some expectations of me that are unreasonable, and I'm not going to meet them. And you're going to have to forgive me, which means you're going to have to get used to being at a church where the pastor is a sinner and also seeking to shepherd you to the Christ. And let me tell you why it has to be that, because there is only one perfect person, and he is Christ. And my job is to point you to him, not to myself. And so Martin Luther, he says that the job of the pastor is to be the chief repenter which means I'm the first one to see my sin and the first one to go running to Christ. So if you want to pray for me, you could pray that I'd be a good chief repenter. And there's a saying that goes, for every look you take at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ. So the better I am at seeing my sin and then very quickly going running into the arms of Christ and being lavished in his grace and being in awe and wonder of his glory and his beauty and worth, the more I do that, the more I'm able to lead us into that. And the more we together are doing that as a community, the more we're able to lead each other into that. And then if we do that long enough, it becomes a culture that we're just swept up into. And we can't help but be lavish in the glory and the beauty and the worth of God and his grace and his mercy that's been given to us. A bunch of sinful misfits and rebels who have found grace. That is the story of the Christian church. And if we're going to have a culture like this, we have to have humility. Because not only are people going to sin against you and you have to forgive them, but you're going to have to say sorry to people. And if you can't say sorry, it's because of pride. And if you can't say sorry, then reconciliation can't happen. Because there's going to still be something broken in the relationship. And then that leads us to boundaries. So if you, are, if you have been hurt by someone, and then you go and talk with them, and they're not willing to say sorry then what that does is it leaves a brokenness in the relationship. There's a rift. And that means at that moment, you have to have wisdom and understand because here will be the temptation. You're gonna want to hear sorry. You're gonna want justice to be done. So you're gonna keep going back and keep looking for sorry and it's not gonna happen. And you're gonna get hurt and you're gonna get wounded. So you have to learn to create a barrier because if reconciliation can't happen or if maybe it's just partial, then it's a partial reconciliation and you just have to be okay with that. But you also, here's the other thing you need to understand. You are far more sinful than you want to believe. But you're far more loved by God in this church than you dared to hope. And what I want you to see is that you are capable of far worse than you realize given the right circumstance. How do we know that's true? Because Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, where this prayer comes from, he says, if you are angry at someone, it is the same as murder. So what does he mean by that? Well, it's a kernel. The, The essence of the kernel is the same. The essence of anger and murder is the same thing. And if you apply enough heat 
to the kernel, it pops into murder. In other words, if you have anger in your heart, if the situation is stirred up enough, it could explode into murder. And you say, no, that can't be true about me. Well, it is. Jesus just said that it's true. And so if that's true, then what it means for you is you need to have some safeguards in your life, not just with anger, but with everything. And the Christian community is meant to be that safeguard. It's meant to be like, like this is your discipleship group, like the groups that we have outside of Sunday morning. This is the place where you're able to just be honest with people and say, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. You're allowing people to speak into your life. And it takes time to build trust. Like, let's be honest with that. So how, how do you learn to trust people so you can be vulnerable with them? Because what we're getting at, like, to be known means you have to be vulnerable. So how do you get to the point to where you can do that with people? Well, you've got to take baby steps. So if you think of vulnerability as a scale of 1 to 10, you've got to take your first step into 1. And when you do, you watch people to see how they respond. And if they respond in a way that's encouraging, that's not judgmental, that's not like pounding you into the dirt, but lifting you up with like the truth of Christ that you are loved and accepted. But there is still yet a better way, like in a way that makes you like ready. Yeah, let's go do this. If you don't feel that, then you have to question if you can trust that person. And if you can and they respond well, then you take your next step of vulnerability and your next step until you get all the way up to 10. And if you get all the way up to 10, you have been blessed because that is a relationship that is very rare to find in this world. And that's what's meant to happen in our discipleship groups. So if you don't feel like you can be vulnerable in your discipleship group, you've got to tell your leader because your leader's job is to create a place of trust and vulnerability. And then when that happens, one person is vulnerable. And here's what happens. One person's willing to do it. And then everyone's like, oh, finally, we get to talk about this. Well, here's the thing about me. And then someone else is like, well, here's the thing about me. And then everybody feels known and loved, and this bond is formed. And the bond is formed because they have understood the need for grace and the relationship with God and each other. And everyone's looking around at each other like, you are known and loved by me and by God, and this is good. And to do this, you have to be the type of person who can forgive. You have to be the type of person who knows grace and the type of person who has been forgiven. So this is our next point, forgiveness as a test of faith. Jesus says, forgive us as we forgive each other. And then he goes on and he says, if you can't forgive, then your heavenly father won't forgive you. Now, okay, what happened to Christianity? Because I thought Christianity said you are saved by grace and grace alone. That there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. But this sounds like it's saying, if you don't forgive people, then God's not going to forgive you. So what's the answer? And the answer is, you think about it like this. Remember I said, we're like living, breathing mirrors. So if you're a mirror, and you're looking up at God and receiving forgiveness from him, then you will reflect that forgiveness out into the world. So if you can't see forgiveness from God, you can't forgive others. And the test of your faith is that when it comes time for you to forgive, can you lavish forgiveness upon people the same way it's been lavished upon you by God? And if you can't, then you need to ask yourself, have I really been forgiven? And it's not if you haven't and you can't forgive others and you say, well, maybe I haven't been forgiven. It's not that God has not given it to you. It's, it's that you're not receiving it. Because your pride says, I can't stand the idea 
of me needing to say sorry to God. And if you have found his forgiveness, it's easy to say sorry, and it's easy to ask someone for forgiveness, and it's easy to then forgive as well. So who do you need to forgive? Your parents, your kids, your spouse, your friend, your coworker, me, yourself. It's time. I mean, this is a really serious calling. If you withhold forgiveness, he withholds forgiveness from you because it's proof that you haven't even found his forgiveness yet. And if you can't forgive, here's what happens to you. Hatred begins to grow in you. A darkness begins to fill up in your soul. And then you become bent and twisted and distorted and someone not so human anymore. Like you're deteriorating into something vile. Forgiveness is a test that reveals what you are. So how do you get the power? How do you get the power and the strength to forgive somebody? Like, how do you get the ability to do this? It, when, when King David, this is the last thing I want to say, this is our last point, the Christ who, sa- who stayed. When King David sinned against his friend and had him murdered, so he committed adultery and then, and then murdered his friend, here's how he responds in a prayer. God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, clearly, he sinned against his friend. But he said, God, against you and you alone. And he says that because he understands something, that God is our creator. And if he's our creator, then he has he is, he is made us to live such a way. And whenever we violate that way he's called us to live, we primarily sin against him and him alone. And when Jesus came into the world... He was greeted by a billion reasons to leave. He was greeted by a billion sins against the Father and against himself. But instead of leaving, he stayed. And then for our sins, he held on to those billion reasons for him to leave. And instead of of ignoring them, he took the sins and he put them on his shoulder and he went up to the cross. And he could have left the cross and left our sins behind, but he didn't. He held them there. And then for all of the wrong that you and I have done for all of eternity, all of humanity, all the justice that was owed to us was rained down upon Christ on the cross and he drank up the penalty that was mine and yours there on that cross. And in doing that, then he gave you his beautiful and perfect record for you to go and carry to the Father, which means this. Even in the middle of your sins, you can go run to the Father. Even though you just now sinned, you can go run to the Father. And despite all the future sins that you will have, you can always go and run to the Father. And when you get there to him, he knows you to the core and he sees you and he knows every single thing about you. And he says, I love you. I'm not leaving. And you stay with me forever. When you taste... A radical generosity like that. You lavish it upon others. A radical forgiveness offered to all of us. It will change the church. And the church will then change the city. And the city will then change the world. Let's pray.
Father, help us to taste the forgiveness you have offered us in your son. And Father, I pray for everybody here. If there's someone in their life that they have not forgiven, I pray that you would stir in them the need to forgive. You would give them the ability to forgive. And if they need to say sorry, that you would give them the ability to say sorry to you and to others. This is the way that's everlasting. And it's a long and narrow road. And it's a hard road that demands us to lay our pride aside and die to ourselves, so we might live with you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at the Grove Church Official, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.